0: Romans chapter number 11 if you grab your Bibles join me in Romans chapter number 11 if you have a prayer and grab that if you need one brother Ron's coming down the middle aisle we'd love for you to be able to follow along and so uh, that those songs tonight fit very well into what we're studying the verses we'll be looking at and so uh, I'm excited about getting into it and uh, looking at what we have before us if you remember we look at in verse 11 and following In fact, uh, as our outline starts at the top there, you see it is a reference to this first question we find in verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? We understand this is a presentation of God's plan and purpose for the present period. And uh, he's given us a glimpse into it. I love it when the Lord allows us to see what's going on, his plan, his purpose and things. When he gives us a behind-the-curtain kind of scene or a sight, vision, you may put it that way. He lets us peek behind the the curtain. It's fantastic to see and enjoyable and encouraging all at the same time and adds perspective for us and our understanding. So this is really what he does. We see Roman number 1, God's purpose and plan, the first part, Israel's fall equals the Gentile salvation. We see that verse 11. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for, for, to provoke them to jealousy. And we made these observations. Uh, we'll just hit a, a few here. In response to their rejection, God is now from Acts onward, made the main target of evangelization, propagation of the gospel, the whole world. And so the folk has certainly turned and and Christ ushering that in and certainly acts in the New Testament, the beginning of the church there for sure has. We made this statement apologize that it's off a little bit Israel's temporary fall uh, is the world's eternal gain and uh, that's what Paul's presenting to us here and then we uh, we looked at, we didn't share this with you so let's add something new to it under Roman number one. I think this is a great way of looking at it. If we were to summarize what we studied under Roman number one it would be this statement Israel's faithfulness should have been the means to show his riches to the world, but he had to instead use her failure. And that really sums it up, doesn't it? Because we looked at how God's plan, he says, I set you among the nations, was God's statement. So through Israel, the surrounding nations, and really the whole world was supposed to know the richness, the power, the glory of God, and they failed at that. And so in their failure, God still brought glory to himself, and through that, then introduced certainly uh, Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Messiah, in that, and yet it was through their failure. And a great statement for us to understand that they, Israel, failed to witness to the world in righteousness, and so God caused her to testify to the world in her unrighteousness, in her failures, as we've seen. God's ultimate plan was not affected. It's just the part that Israel played because of the rebellion and rejection of God changed. They could have been the highlight. They could have been a great tool to draw men unto Jesus Christ through their faithfulness, their righteousness, but they failed in that. And yet God's plan still kept on. It kept progressing. And great truth and understanding what Paul's even presenting to us here. Then we saw room number two, God's purpose and plan. The second part was the Gentile salvation actually equals Israel's provocation. And uh, we, we, we see that at the end of verse 12, for to provoke them to jealousy. And that's really what uh, the, the whole plan was. We saw a couple of things here. The nation of Israel, I think these are crucial. Uh, reminders spiritually, they were bankrupt. The believers today are endowed with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. The very Messiah that was the stumbling block at the end of chapter 10 uh, for the Jews. Then we notice this statement real quickly. It's up to the heart of the Jew whether this provoking is treated as a positive stimulus for return to God and coming to Jesus Christ or as further impetus to distance themselves from God. We'll note it here in a minute and I have something I want to share with you but if you remember verse 7, 8, and 9 presents they're blinded, they're, uh, their eyes don't see and so forth and so on. So some of them take this provoking to jealousy and they uh, use it as means to distance themselves even more from God. We'll see it kind of uh, shown out here in just a moment. Notice this statement here, though. When God provokes, his motives are pure. He is doing it for the best outcome for Israel. And, boy, that's so very true. Let's never forget that when God provokes, you say, provoke the jealousy. Well, that's not nice. And uh, you think of those maybe who are just kind of getting interested in each other, and they so show uh, the one they're interested in shows attention to someone else. They might try to provoke them by jealousy and so forth. Uh, That's a human level. From God's perspective and who God is and his character, he always does it with the purest of motives. That can't always be said about you and I, but it can be said about God. His motives are always pure. And what do we know about the very character of God, the intentions of God, is that he will always do what's best for us. And so he wants the best outcome for Israel. And so he does what he does to do that. You know, as we look at this and we understand that the statement, we came to this. This is the last statement last week. We can trust his promises, we can trust his plan, and we can trust his purposes. And that is really being coming to the, the, the top uh, throughout this passage in these verses. Now, as I am alluded to, notice verse 9, it speaks of the blessing that should have been Israel. That table kind of set up for a, a feast is turned into a snare, a trap. It's, it's the very thing that ought to have been where they got the most glory. Uh, as we went back in a couple chapters and Paul lists all the things that the nation of Israel has and they can take, they can glory in because they, were favored as we saw you know the the, the, the number one uh, thing of that would be that they jesus christ the messiah came from the jews and he's an israelite so that should have been the top the echelon if we might describe it as such of the things that israel could glory in and now that very thing is turned into a snare and a trap for them and as we alluded to just a moment ago, you see in verses 8 and 10, their eyes are dark and they cannot see. Verse 7 concludes that they are blind. They have the truth. They had the Messiah. He could clearly be seen, but they willingly rejected him. Now, I alluded to this, and we've talked about this throughout Romans. And in just a moment, I'm going to show you some excerpts from a video. It's, it, it's quite an interesting video because it, it, here is a presentation. A Jewish believer who believes in Jesus Christ is in Israel, and he's Presenting to Jews, Israelites, this great Jewish teacher. Well, and Brother Nathan actually was the one who, who got me onto the this. And uh, it, it's a great video. Because he presents this Jewish leader saying, here's all the things he did. Here's the great things he's taught. And and they're like, wow, this is a great teacher. This guy is awesome. This, man, we, we, we've never heard these stories. We've never understood that this guy was and He must be a righteous man. In fact, one of them says, boy, he really sounds like the Messiah. <laughs> Can you guess who he is describing without them knowing it? Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you, here's what's amazing, and you'll see it in the video. We get to the point, and there's different Jews. Those who would you think aren't really that much practicing Jews, they're in Israel, they're Jew, but probably are not orthodox, are the kids may be. And then there's two men who are orthodox. One may even be a rabbi. He's at least very orthodox. And it's amazing what they say about Jesus Christ before they know it's Jesus Christ. And the moment the interviewer tells them it's Jesus Christ, they reject it completely. All because of the one name. It's pretty amazing. We're going to watch the video now. And Mr. Quick, if you have that up and ready, we'll go right to it. And uh, follow along. Okay, let me say this before he starts it too. It's, It's in Hebrew. They're speaking in Hebrew. Okay, it has captioning, by the way, so you'll be able to read it. Okay, so if if you know Hebrew, you'll understand it. Otherwise, you'll see the things here. We'll hit the lights before we start it. That way, you can see it and everything else. And uh, it's a couple different excerpts. He'll stop and start it. I'll say a few words in between and things like that. Okay, Mr. Quick, you'll do
1: that.
2: (laughs) הוא קיבל כל אחד שבא אליו לטיפול ובזכותו עשרות אלפי אנשים קיבלו רפואה שלמה
3: בנוסף, אחוזי ההסלוחה שלו בתחום הרפואה היו בין הגבוהים בהיסטוריה
2: הרמב״ם הרמב״ם
3: לא, גם לא
1: <laughs> אבל ניחוש טוב שהוא עשה נפלא מאוד נפלא מאוד
2: איש צדיק
3: לא תלמצ מלא
2: יש לו לב ענק יש חסד כזה שיכול לרפא אנשים בלי לבקש תמועה, זה אדם גדול.
1: כשהמנהיג הזה פגש אנשים שהחברה דחתה אותם או שהיו נחשבים לאנשים רעים, הוא בעצם ראה אותם בצורה אחרת לגמרי ותמיד חיפש את הדרך לעזור להם לצאת מהמצב שלהם ולקבל חיים יותר מלאים
2: במשמעות. כשאנשים מסיימים מתחו ביקורת עליו על כך שבילה זמן אנשים מרקעים לא ראויים, הוא ענה... לא הבריאים צריכים רופא, אלא החולים. לא באתי לקרוא לצדיקים, אלא לחותים
0: so we're going to kind of skip ahead it's a long video okay but so understand what he's doing he's presenting all these truths about jesus christ and certainly paraphrasing what he did in his life and in his teaching and so forth now as he presents these, these people are they're starting to think, wow this is a good guy in fact you, you see some of them guessing uh, the one guy's rambam or whatever the guy's name is he's actually a philosopher a jewish philosopher uh from spain i believe it was anyway so they're trying to guess who this guy is because like man th- this guy's pretty special you'll see him like that's pretty awesome so we'll go to the next part
1: the next
3: clip?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: כלומר, לא רק לראות צדיקים מבחוץ, אלא גם שמה שהכי חשוב זה מה שבפנים.
3: צריך להיות טוב מבפנים, אבל uh, היום אנשים מושחתים לגמרי, אנשים אף אחד לא נראה לי באמת מבפנים. זה גם בן החרדים. המציאות של שנת חינם לא תוקנה עדיין, <אח> אבל <אח> ועילה, אנחנו ממשכים לזבור מזה. כל אחד עם שלו, את מי הוא מאשים פה, הוא מאשים עדיין את כל הצדים.
1: זה נשמע אקטואלי.
2: זה ממשיך את מה שאני חושב לגבי אדם הגדול שמדובר עליו מאוד מסקרן אותי לדעת מי האדם הזה היה
1: הייתה למנהיג הזה גם התפיסה של מנהיגות שונה לגמרי ממה שיש לרוב האנשים הוא בעצם לימד שהדרך למעלה להיות מישהו גדול זה לא לדרוך על אחרים אלא לעזור להם ולתמוך בהאמין הציטות שלו אתם יודעים שאלה
2: הנחשבים למושלים בבואים רודים בהם הגדולים שבהם שולטים בהם, אבל לא יהיה כך בעיניכם. להפך, מי שרוצה להיות
1: גדול בכם, צריך להיות לכם למשרת.
3: מי שרוצה להיות ראשון ביניכם, יהיה עברת לכל. זה סיטוטי, אהם. זה סיטוטי, אהם.
2: הוא אחרים הוא לא מנהיג. כמו בגין שהיה, שדהיירת אל
1: האך. בתור אחת, שאין לה ביטחון עצמי, אני
2: חושב שכן צריכים להרים את האנשים מהדק ותת להם לעדות
1: and to believe in a man who is a man, but he's also talking about it in his life. On the day, the nurses were coming to the house, and their hands were all over, from all the fire and the fire and all קם מן סעודה לקח
3: מגבת וחגר את עצמו. יצא קמאים בקערה, והחל לרחוץ את רגלי האורחים ונגבם במגבת שהיה חבור בה. זו חשובה ומנהיגות, לא להיות מתנשאה. אין
2: לו קטע של גאווה
3: יותר והתפסקות. ביטול עצמי, הכנעה, מה, מה יש פה לדבר? מה משה אבנו, שהיה אומרת עליהם לשרת אותם. גם פה.
1: בגלל מעשים כאלה בדיוק, הם היו מנהיגים גדולים, שמדברים עליהם גם אחר כך.
3: לראות כזה
2: אישיות גדולה, עושה כזה דבר, לא זכיתי. אולי מי יודע, במה שנשאר
3: לי
2: אולי. הלוואי, והייתי מכיר את הבן אדם הזה,
0: שהחייה כאן עכשיו.
3: תשמע, זה נשמע דמות מאוד מאוד מעניינת, ואני מתחיל
1: להסתכן יותר ויותר מי היה איש הזה. שמעת כמה ציטוטים, סיפורים על אותו המנהיג? מה את חושבת עליו הכל? יש לו לב זהב,
2: בסיכום שלי אני חושב שמדובר על אדם גדול מבחינה רוחני, אדם טהור. גם נדיב, גם צדיק, גם יורד לעם, גם מרפס את עצמו הכי נמוך זה תכונות אה, עם חוכמה ועם הרבה שכל ישר אני חושבת שיקח לבני אדם הרבה זמן של עבודה עצמית כדי להגיע אדם טוב?
1: לא נשמע כל כך בן אדם. Mm. כאילו, קשה לי להאמין שהיה או שיש בן אחד, שהוא כל זה. ואם כן, כל הכבוד, לו. Mm. זה פשוט תכונות אלוהיות, שבר... לרוב מייחסים עליהן אותן לאלוהים.
3: אהבת ישראל שלו למעלה מן המשואר. אהבת ישראל של יהודי צדיק, של יהודי צדיק. עם הרבה 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 אהבת ישראל ולב גדול.
0: שזה
2: נשמע יותר מדי, בעיניי, mm. כמו המשיח.
0: Okay, so understand the context. Here are Jews who have no concept about Jesus Christ. They've never heard the New Testament stories. One of the ladies says, and I don't think it's in the clip I'll share with you, but she literally says, we've never heard these stories. Could you imagine? Now think of it. Who did Jesus Christ come to? Well, Paul already said, first to the Jews. It ought to break our heart. And we see Jews who have no clue. Now, here's what's neat. Some of these folks are really, their eyes are opening, aren't they? I mean, they're seeing it. And now he's getting to the part; He's going to ask them, who do you think it is? Who do you think is this? Who do you think we're describing here? And, boy, you can just see for some the wall goes up. Isn't it amazing that one young lady already said, well, this guy is like divine attributes. It's like he's God. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, we certainly don't have time to show the video. There's a second part and everything. I will show you this part here in a second. But some of these folks go on and uh, they are following up and trying. And some of them are even uh, getting to the point of putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which is exciting. And uh, but we'll show you this now. Here's the next part and here's where he's now asking, okay, you've heard all this, you've read some of these placards and uh, who describing this guy? Who do you think it is? And then he'll get onto and actually one and says this kind of sounds like some New Testament stuff and and then he'll confront and obviously pay attention we'll end it right after the two orthodox men are confronted with it. Let's play it.
1: Mm-hmm. שרוב העם שלנו היום מכיר אותו כישו, אבל בעצם השם שלו זה ישוע. האם כך דמיינת את לא. כן.
2: כי וואלה, באמת איך לא חשבתי על זה. באמת, אם הייתי חושב
1: יותר לעומק, הייתי חושב עליו. לא מספרים עליו פה. אבל מה וכאלה. אותו בתור בן אדם מושלם.
2: אם גם
1: גדל a מהחיים וזה בסדר גם מור. אולי קדאל לפחניח חדשים, אם יש לנו את התפיסה שאל לא רוצים ללמוד שום דבר ממנו? בפירוש לא, בפירוש לא אין אנחנו שום דבר ללמוד מהתפיסה הזאת. זה התפיסה היהודית המושלמת, האולטימטיבית. רגע רגע, אתה אמר לך רגע אתה רגע לדבר.
0: Pretty amazing, isn't it? At the very name of Jesus Christ. Things change like that. There is another video. We can bring up the lights. There's another video, and uh, it's talking about Isaiah 53. And uh, for the Jews, Isaiah 53 has become a forbidden chapter. 1,700 years ago, uh, they would have regularly read Isaiah 53, which is telling about the suffering of the Messiah. They would have read that regularly in their synagogues and in their temples. It would have been something. They they have banned that. No longer will they read Isaiah 53. In fact, most people are not even... Cognizant of what it says, the suffering of the Messiah. They don't want. They don't want to focus on the suffering of the Messiah at all. And so they pretty much just kind of banned it, gotten rid of it, the forbidden chapter. And so that video, he's sharing that with some other Jews. And and here's what's amazing: there's a young man on there, a young Jewish man. And he makes this statement. He's sharing with him Isaiah 53. He's like, "That's amazing." He's and and the young man makes this observation. He says, "Whenever people bring up the Messiah's suffering, it's like a barrier goes up." And he's just being confronted with this for the first time. He says, it's like we as Jews won't even think about Jesus Christ. We won't even think about the Messiah suffering. Now, you say, Pastor, what's the point of all this? Well, here's the point. My friend, is there any greater proof needed that we are living right here? Romans 11, this time where Israel is... Uh, Nationally, they are away from God. They are in great need to be reconciled to God. And yet, the beauty of it is, in this falling of Israel, you and I are now enjoying the reality of salvation coming to the Gentiles, as we have seen. And it really sets the table for the rest of God's plan playing out. Look with me at verse number 12, if you will, with me. Notice it now if the fall of them uh, be the riches of the world uh, and the diminishing of them the riches of the gentiles notice the statement how much more there fullness. Now notice it. This is a great statement. I love how Paul does this logic and so forth. Uh, Notice the first statement here. We'll say this. Put it this way. Israel's future fullness literally equals the world's future blessing. And it it really is now for Paul an appeal to the Gentiles. Look at the first six words of verse number 13. For I speak to you Gentiles. So he's saying listen what I've just stated and what I'm about to say I I, I want you Gentiles to sit up to pay attention. Because he's really Now changing the focus of his address from in this section from the Jews to the Gentiles and yet both have much to learn from it what follows is a positive, exciting truth that Paul puts forth. It's a, it's really a win-win situation for the Gentiles. And I like win-win situations, don't you? And that's what it is for the Gentiles that Paul's going to present to us. Now, he presents to us or employs a line of reasoning, what we might call some extreme logic, that uh, to make a powerful point. We've already seen it. In fact, I want to show it to you. Keep your spine. Turn back to Romans 5, will you? Romans chapter number five. And w- again, we've seen this, but I, let's just draw attention. Notice what he says too in verse 11. You remember he said, um, much more their fullness. Okay, so some similar grammar here in Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, notice the presentation of Jesus Christ here. Christ died for us. So he's presenting Jesus Christ as the Savior that died for us. And notice what he says. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath, through him. And so there is an inference in that passage about Jesus Christ being alive that in, in future the, uh, we'll see our salvation consummated in the idea that we will gain heaven and lose hell, be saved from that wrath. Now notice what, what he says in verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, notice it again, the other statement, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life and not only so but we also joy in god through our lord jesus christ by whom we have now received the atonement okay did you catch the two things it's saying so first he's contrasting he said listen here's here's what we have in a dying savior we've been redeemed we've been saved we've been justified in a dying savior you know what he's saying though he goes much more aren't you thankful you have a living savior today Because he's the one that sustains you, and he's the one that takes care of you and suckers you and and lifts you up. So, uh, Boy, how much more do we have in our sanctification? Everything, because Jesus Christ is alive now. And boy, what he accomplished in his death was fantastic. Paul's saying, but much more. Aren't you grateful you have a Savior that lives today? And if he lives, guess what? The promise is that you and I will live. And we have life like he does. And so Paul's doing a great contrast. So he employs the same logic over here in chapter number 11, verse number 11. He's comparing the same idea, if you could put it this way. And yet here he's saying, if Israel's failure um, through that, the world was blessed, how much more shall we be blessed when they're found to be Faithful. If in their unrighteousness it brought us salvation and, and, and salvation to the Gentiles, what happens when Israel follows after God? How much more will we be blessed in that? And as we have read the end, we know that is certainly true. You see, you say, what, what is it that we're going to enjoy through their faithfulness? Well, one day, do you realize through their faithfulness, we will enjoy the rule and the reign of our Savior here on earth? During the millennial kingdom, the world will enjoy, that's the context, the world will enjoy Jesus Christ sitting upon the throne, and as Israel, comes back and is reconciled in faith, many of Israel, much of Israel, comes and is reconciled, it's a great day of blessings that the world will get to enjoy through Israel's return to God. We could put it back in context of what we've already seen. We'd say this, uh, all that God intended for Israel to be in righteousness and faithfulness back in the promised land is now going to be realized, but in a grander scale, a greater scale. What is that? The whole world. The whole world is now going to see that Israel is faithful and through their righteousness and exalting Christ and worshiping him, the whole world is going to be affected. Very much what God intended through Israel back in the promised land. It's great truth, reality. I mean, aren't you grateful that God's plans are never thwarted? It really, in a sense, comes full circle if we may put it this way. I love the definition of the Old Testament. Zechariah gives us some good uh, description of what that's going to be like. In Zechariah 14, 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good? No more president of the United States. No more Putin, or Putin, or pudding, whatever. Uh, No more head of China. No more, I mean, nothing. Who's Lord of it all? Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you, that's a blessing for the world. That's a blessing for the world. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, this is their fullness. When they get restored and reconciled, whew, much more than what we even gain from their falling away will we be enjoying. He goes on, notice that in the day there shall be one Lord and his name one. What a great description. And men shall dwell in it, speaking of the city, by the way, and there shall be no more destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Go tell somebody in Jerusalem that today. They ain't going to believe you. They're going to be like duck. Here comes another bomb, another missile from Gaza. (laughs) I mean, this is the promise of of what's going to be enjoyed by the world in in their reconciliation. Notice the last statement of verse 16, of Zechariah 14. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of the tabernacles. What a neat thought, isn't it? the world is going to be brought to worship god even in that day through israel that's part of that much more promise in verse verse 12 but i think there's much more to that and, and we couldn't get on into all of it tonight but here, here's the fact that great blessing that's going to fall upon the world through the jews and is, some of it's going to happen even before the rule of christ The world will witness, and certainly you and I in heaven at the time, we will witness what seems to be an unlikely evangelistic movement uh, whose flames seem to be fanned by believing Jews. Pastor, what are you talking about? Turn with me to Revelation chapter number 7, if you will. Revelation chapter number 7. I trust that I will not be treading on Brother Dylan's uh, shoes and getting ahead of this. But Revelation chapter number 7, let's look at verse number 4. Man, what a powerful verse. This is an exciting story of what's going to happen in the end times. Revelation chapter 7, verse number 4, we're introduced to a group. They're repeated in chapter 14. We'll focus here on just chapter 7. But look at verse 4 of chapter 7. Notice what it says. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Then the next few verses, they, they explain from each tribe. Look down at verse number 9. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, and people, and tongues, and stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Okay? Notice verse 10. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Jump down with me to verse number 13. And one of the elders answered, and he had just asked, and, well, excuse me, one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Verse 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So first of all, we have the 144,000 Jews who are sealed by God. In a sense, we, we see that they are the ones that are uh, promised to stand through the revelation uh, tribulation. Excuse me. And in Revelation, they're presented as God almost having a protective hedge around them uh, throughout this. The Antichrist not being able to touch them and such. They're going to face great persecution and tribulation, no doubt. But yet they will stand throughout the tribulation as a testimony of faith in God. And so, what did we study just a few verses earlier? God always has a remnant. God always has a group. God always leaves a little bit of a flame. And so it is, we have these 144,000 chosen, as we alluded to, even as we studied that verse. And it would appear in this chapter, uh, and through much of Revelation, that these 144,000 Jews, they have a profound effect on the world. And as we read in verse number 9 and following, it would certainly appear that they uh, lead to an innumerable multitude. And I think that's so encouraging, a great multitude, which no man could number, of Gentiles around the world being saved during the tribulation. Being saved during the These who, oh, whether they certainly uh, know concept and through the, the witness of these Jews, come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's pretty awesome pretty amazing that this is transpiring when in a time where we know there are people who shake their fist at God as tribulation falls and judgment upon the world and yet God has left 144,000 leading to well essentially a great revival in some ways see I don't believe that uh, I know there's some who may differ I, I don't believe that we will likely see a great revival before Jesus Christ returns now, I think there's definitely spots and places where you can have revival. Maybe even a country can have revival. I don't think we'll see a widespread revival around the world. In fact, I think according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we might say that it's actually going to be the opposite. The Bible speaks of a falling away before that reveal. And so I think I personally lean more towards that going to happen. But here's, here's the amazing news from here. What do we know that persecution does to the church and true believers? Man, it honestly, typically helps it grow, doesn't it? It it, it makes its testimony, its witness refined, purified. And I'll tell you, here's what's amazing. In the middle of the greatest tribulation the world has ever seen, there's going to be 144,000 Jews that testify of who Jesus Christ is. And isn't that neat? And then it leads to what? A great multitude of people of every nation, every kindred, every tongue being saved. As they describe it, he says, from the great tribulation. That's a pretty amazing thought as we understand. You know what Paul says? What's going to happen when the Jews are reconciled? Well, there's a whole lot going to happen in this world when 144,000 are reconciled to their Savior. The impact is going to be huge. Now let me ask you this. Let's put it in context. If 11 Jewish men, led by the Holy Spirit and filled with the power of God, could do what those 11 disciples did at the day of Pentecost and thereafter, what can 144,000 do? If one man anointed and commissioned to be a missionary for God, known as Paul, could do everything that he did... What can 144,000 Jews convinced that Jesus Christ is their Savior do? I really believe, I think, even in the midst of the tribulation, there's going to be a great revival. There's going to be people who turn to the God as is described here. My goodness, that is amazing testimony to the mercy and long-suffering of God. Because the tribulation is a time that we reach. What's supposed to fall out? Well, here's the wrath of God on mankind for all their sin, their rejection of God. You know, you know, our God is so gracious that even in the midst of that, he's still saving people. We serve a great God, don't we? Hence, Paul can write what he does here in Romans chapter 11, that much more, much more, and it is a, it is a fantastic description. Yet he also adds one other description to it, and we do have time for this. Notice verse 15. I think this is neat. We'll kind of jump ahead. We'll come back and get verses 13 and 14. But notice verse 15. He describes it this way. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Man, that's tremendous. Tremendous. What's that be? But life and the notice the two descriptions that Paul gives us here. The first is this, he he says the receiving of them, and that is a great terminology. It's literally allusion to God taking back Israel as a nation. Uh, that they would be reconciled, uh, to God. Now, now picture a child who in disobedience and maybe in discipline has, has gone their own way. And they, they've kind of gone away from mom or dad and, and uh, they've kind of just wondered. They've gotten on the other side of the house or they've gone outside to kind of get away. But th- the Lord works on their heart and, and their, t- their attitude changes and so forth. And, and they come back. They realize their failure in their own way. They come back to their parents and, and w- what are parents doing? And they, they'll reach down and grab them and receive them that, that's kind of the statement here receives them uh, forgive me but think of the prodigal son how do we know the father received him now he came he came from, he went from the pigsty back to the porch where he needed to be and there was the dad waiting to receive him and, and what does the scriptures describe he fell upon his neck he embraced him And that is a beautiful description that Paul gives us. See, in a sense, we could say God had every right to be like this. You remember when your dad stood like that sometimes? Oh, boy, trouble. Or mom, for that matter. Maybe that was worse. God's not like that with Israel. We talked about it a few weeks ago. God's like this. And he's going to receive them. It's a beautiful description that Paul gives us in this passage. He says, listen, that is much more than when God receives them and they are reconciled. And then uh, he adds this to that great uh, great description. He says, it's like as being life from the dead. We'll get into a little bit more here as we get into that following verses of verse 15. But literally, if you think about it, one day Israel's going to spiritually respond to God like Lazarus in the grave. As Jesus Christ and Lazarus come forth, you know the reality is that there is coming a day when many in Israel are going to respond to the call of God. And they'll go from what? Life, or excuse me, from death spiritually unto life. I don't think there's any better characterization of it. Literally, they are like a nation that is dead. And we know that God's not done with it. That's what Paul's answering here. But it is as if they've been set aside for a time because of their lack of faith. They are almost spiritually dead, dormant, we might describe it. And Paul's saying this is going to be like life from death. When all hope is lost, you'll have a resurrected nation of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but... You hear these people talk who have no clue about Jesus Christ. These are Jews. And yet, these Jews who, if you, if we mentioned it many moons ago, Israel, the country, though steeped in Judaism, is actually one of the more liberal nations in the world. They're known for their LGBTQ. They have a huge parade. And they're known around the world for that kind of stuff. It's a very liberal, secular state even though there are rigid orthodox jews within it that's quite interesting isn't it they aren't pure they aren't holy like their god like yahweh yet the day is coming when that will be so with israel you know what that'll be like (laughs) it'll be like life from death It'll be God restoring Israel. We'll see more of it as we get to verse number 14. But look back at verse 13 and 14. and As we continue after 15, we'll see more. Excuse me. But notice it. Paul kind of gives us his two cents. He gives us a glimpse into the heart of Paul here. Uh, Paul of Tarsus, a a Jew with a great burden for his own people. Look at verse 13. He says this, For I speak to you Gentiles in so much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. It was a great statement. We'll just look at it briefly, and then uh, we'll pick up next week. But notice what he wants us to see. You see it on your outline there, two things to sum up, really, verse number 13 and 14. He says this, first of all, I want you to realize I'm heeding the call, and secondly, he had a heart for his comrades. He's reiterating this. We've seen this throughout the book and the the letter already, but he he wants to make it clear that though he is embarking on Gentile evangelism, uh, that God has called him to do so, and he is all behind it. His heart's 100% into it. He he is now surrendered uh, to being that instrument in the grand plan of God to reach the world. Paul is certainly going to be instrumental in that, specifically the Gentiles. And yet he was declaring that he was given this office. And as he was given this office, he is giving to it uh, the office of mission evangelist to the Gentiles, all that he has, Uh, and it's not going to be neglected or lost in his passion for Israel, whom he loves, because he still had a great burden and zeal to fulfill fulfill his calling, but also to see Israel reached with the gospel. And, And the fact is this, if you look at Paul and you say, okay, you have the office, God has called you to the Gentiles, could you not look at the New Testament and say, yeah, Paul fulfilled the calling? I mean, no doubt there is much more of Paul's life and what he accomplished that is not recorded in Scriptures for us. And we would have to say, wow, Paul fulfilled that calling on his life. He fulfilled the office of missionary to the Gentiles, uh, evangelist to the Gentiles. He no doubt fulfilled that. However, for Paul, as it is sometimes for you and I, he still always had something in the back of his mind. He always still kind of went back to his own people. And better put than he had something in the back of his mind, I would say this, Paul always had something on the forefront of his heart. And he summed it up at the end of verse 14 that some of them might be saved. See, you could never talk long to Paul and it would come out clearly that he had a zeal and a love for Israel. In fact, we read just a little while ago in chapter 10, we saw, he says, I have a desire of my heart and a constant prayer that Israel would be saved. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 28. You remember, no doubt, likely very close to the end of his life. And what's he doing? He's calling the Jews in Rome to his house where he's under house arrest, and he's witnessing to them from morning to evening. Jews while he's witnessing to those in the palace, while he's witnessing to Gentiles fulfilling his office, and yet he still always has that heart for Israel. Here in chapter 11 and verse 14, he says this, I'm joining God in his plan. I hope that God will use me to provoke the Jews to jealousy and then emulation in faith in Christ Jesus alone for salvation. Look at verse 14. Let's quickly see these things. This is amazing. There are several things here that are affirmed of this plan, and I think this is neat to see, that Paul draws out, okay? What are the things affirmed of? Number one, he said this, I I want to provoke them to emulation. And it speaks of that truth that all must come to Christ on the same basis. So he says this, listen, my job is I present this to the Gentiles and I reach out to them in the gospel, not, not only do I want the Gentiles to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, but I want the Jews to believe in Jesus Christ, I want to spark them and provoke them to emulate, follow the same thing that I'm preaching to the, the Gentiles. That They have to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has a heart for, and a burden for them to get saved and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Number two, we see that he adopted God's plan of provoking Israel to faith through jealousy. He confirms through this, obviously, both the goal and the means of what God's doing right now. We've seen this in the passage. God's goal is to bring them salvation. His means and method right now is to provoke them to jealousy. And Paul says, listen, I'm joining God's plan. And may I submit to you this truth? It is always better to submit yourself and join God's plan than to make up your own. And so Paul's saying that. He's affirming. You know what God's plan right now is? That he is provoking the Jews to jealousy through the Gentiles, through those who have come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ with the ultimate goal, as we've seen already in this study, that they would see it as uh, and move their hearts to come put their faith and trust in Christ. That's the desire here. And last but not least, I think, don't miss this, what verse 14 says, again, really testified even to by the video, is this reality, any individual Jew can be saved at any time. And that's great hope, isn't it? See, Paul used this as one of the proofs at the beginning of this chapter, but his own salvation. Their national rejection does not doom an individual Jew, but rather every single Jew can choose Christ. Every single one of these people that heard of Jesus Christ and who he was and what he accomplished, how he fulfilled the prophecy of the Messiah, aren't you thankful today that everyone you saw in that video can trust Jesus Christ? I mean, wouldn't it be crazy to go share that with them? But you have to wait. If you're still alive during the tribulation, then you can come to Jesus Christ. That seems ridiculous, doesn't it? And certainly it is because we know that's not God's plan. Now, get this, and I don't want you to miss this. Let me leave this with you as we, you finish the outline, but I'm not finished preaching. Thank you. All right. Notice this. I love this about Paul, don't you? Who was Paul? He was a Jew, rejected persecuted by his own people now i'll tell you we read the stories of what paul went through and we read how the jews mistreated him and and ill treated him and yet you know what you see about paul it would have been easy to be indifferent listen i'm not called the jews I'm a, I'm a missionary evangelist to the Gentiles. I, listen, hey, they treated me bad enough. I, I've gone into their, and what did he do? Every city he went to, what's pretty amazing, it seems like almost every city, where'd he go first, the temple? But the Jews were. And boy, they treated him horrible. It would have been so easy for him to say, listen, I'm washing my feet, I'm casting off the dust of my sandals and my shoes. I, I don't have anything to do with these Jews. They've rejected me, they've rejected God. And in some sense of humanly speaking, he would have, that would have been OK. He was within his right to do so. But that's not Paul. And I dare say this. You say, "Wow, How does somebody like that have that kind of enemy? that he was terribly treated? He was kicked out and, and persecuted because he, he turned his back on Judaism. and how, how does he react in such a way? Here's how he reacts in such a way. He knew his God. He knew the God who had been rejected by the people that God chose. And yet, what does God continually show Israel? Love and compassion. You see, I would put it this way. For Paul, here's what he learned from God, what he himself embraced. He always kept Israel in his heart. He pursued their salvation, and he, like God, was merciful to them and long-suffering, desiring that their greatest need be realized salvation in jesus christ and boy that kept paul rooted and anchored and i'll tell you this kept paul being able to write be not weary in well-doing that was his heart and desire now i want to challenge you american believer christian in america don't get calloused Don't get so discouraged and fed up with our nation rejecting God that you stop realizing what the greatest need is. And you stop giving it. Don't become indifferent. I, like you, am sick and tired of what's happening in America. I'm sick of where all the focus is and the lack of what seems to be even logical reasoning and so forth. I get it. I I hate the lack of morality. But my friend... We ought to love the people of America, and we ought to have a burden to share with them their greatest need of salvation. May you and I be like Paul today. May we never lose our zeal and our passion to see those around us come to know Jesus Christ. We'll pick up next week with a great passage there at the end of chapter 11. Brother Cliff, you'll bring those.